Whenever there is a flat around the world, eyesight is there to collect information and help with the decision making. As a patient, you actually just want to focus on your life. It's rocketing, really. Everyone's talking about getting an electric car. My name is Michael Booth and you're listening to the Foreign Desk Explainer in association with Finnish Flow, a Davos special. The annual World Economic Forum at Davos is finally taking place again from the 22nd to the 26th of May. And this year, there's going to be some new participants, representatives from eight cutting-edge Finnish companies which are innovating within energy, technology, healthcare and education under the group banner Finnish Flow. The Finns have been working in their characteristically thorough but quiet way in these fields for many years, but their traditionally unassuming approach will no longer do. In recognition of both the urgency and global nature of the problems the Finnish flow companies are addressing, they're aiming to take Davos by storm with their solutions to everything from the green energy transition to helping kids catch up on their COVID-struck education. We start with Rafael Mojewski, CEO of IceEye, a Finnish microsatellite manufacturer that uses data to prevent and assist in natural disasters. More of that in a moment, but first I asked Raffle to tell me a little more about Finnish Flow and its Davos debut. I think of it as an initiative which is designed to bring really and, and showcase the Finnish innovation and and maybe Finnish uh, thought leadership at Davos. There hasn't really been a lot of Finland in Davos in the past, and it's one of the most important forums to discuss the world matters. There's quite a lot that Finland and the Finnish entrepreneurs and young generation can offer. And what was the selection criteria? They had to be part of a venture, and that venture, you know, had to represent uh, an idea of sustainability, a uh, high degree of innovation, and basically be of interest to the future of the world. And now that the second criteria which I'm not sure how official this was, but you know, the it's clear that Finland wanted to select representatives of the younger generation. I'm personally 32 and all of the people that go with me are uh, of similar age. And I think World Economic Forum in Davos has actually been known as a forum attended by a specific group of individuals and and sort of bringing the, the younger generation into the debate is not only wise but necessary really. Yeah, the Davos demographic does tend towards the over 60s, doesn't it? That is correct. Yes, I was trying to find the <laughs> right way of of describing that phenomenon. Yes. Well, hopefully you'll you'll bring the average age down a little bit. And how does ISI fit into that remit? As a company, our our mission is to enable more efficient decision making through earth observation data. We are a very specific company in that way that we are focused at gathering sourcing data that hasn't been available, most notably uh, space sensors that we design and deploy. ISI uses satellite data to help respond to natural disasters. We design our, our own special type of satellite. We then launch those satellites into space. We own 16 of them currently. We're about to launch five more actually this month. Then we take images of Earth using those satellites, and those are special images, and I can get into that in a second. And currently, out of all the different problem types that we were able to help with, we decided to first focus on bringing sort of support and and relief following natural catastrophes. And, And very specifically, we were actually focused on floods. So 
honestly, right now, you can you can safely say that whenever there is a flat around the world, ISI is there to collect information and help with the decision making, which which ultimately yields uh, uh, help being delivered faster and more efficiently to those in need. Our imaging sensor allows us to actually see through clouds and darkness. So regardless of weather condition or time of day, you know, whenever that flooding happens, we still can collect information. Finland has this reputation as a, as a high trust country. Finns trust each other. The world trusts Finns. Does that help when you're going to an international event like Davos? I think I, I tend to bring this idea of, of high level of, of trust within the society as the reason why um, uh, Finland can be successful at so many things. And it has made uh, uh, setting up a company easier. It has made running the company easier. It makes all sorts of dealings easier. And I, and I generally think that's going to, uh, you know, it would, it would help others to do the same. And I think that gives uh, a lot of our users as well as our employees and people that watch us a sense of security and, and peace. That was Rafael Majewski, CEO of ISI. Finland's aiming to achieve carbon neutrality by 2035, which obviously presents enormous challenges for its heating and electricity companies. Luckily, Helsinki, the Finnish capital, is home to the world's most efficient energy producer, Helen Limited, a hundred-year-old company which has over half a million customers across Finland. I spoke to Christina Salim, a business development manager at the company, to hear how it's helping Finland achieve its goals and its message in Davos. We are producing energy, heat and electricity in a more sustainable way using renewable sources, but we are also involving our customers to that so our customers can then be able to achieve also their carbon neutrality goals with our solutions for their own solar power production, for their own geothermal heat production to help them to move towards green mobility with, for example, the mobility services that we provide. So we are not only electricity and heat producer in Helsinki, we are a service provider in Finland. For example, our typical customer could purchase a own solar power plant on top of their own roof. Then they can add, for example, electric charging points for their workers, if that's a company who has a lot of employees who come to work with electric cars, if they need renewable heating, if they are in our district heating network, they can get renewable heat from the district heating side. But if they are outside our network, they can then have potential to also purchase own geothermal uh, heat solutions to produce their own heat at their own sites. Is that goal of carbon neutrality, is it achievable? Yes, we have really ambitious targets. We already decided that we will phase out coal by 2024, which is faster than we expected. Also, since we have one power plant running with gas, that will be also covered by the 2030. So yes, it's possible. And it's also in line with the city of Helsinki targets. So we are going hand in hand with those. And how is Helsinki's transition transport-wise to electric vehicles? Are you catching up with the Norwegians. By the end of year 2021, there was almost 20,000 electric vehicles, and from those, uh, 4,400 were fully electric. So it's roughly like 8.4 percent, but it's growing a lot now. Like now is the time, and it's rocketing. Really, everyone's talking about getting an electric car. 
And what's the, the message Helen is keen to get across at Davos? Basically, the discussions that we want to have in Davos are considering these uh, circular economic topics, like uh, we alone cannot do the change. We have to redefine the waste. We might have something that brings value to our partners and our partners might have something valuable for us, like waste heat. So we must work together and make new energy future, basically, together. That's basically the key message. And I will also highlight the, the hydrogen economy that we are building in Helsinki, Vuosaari. So as an example, how we, together with our partners, can actually do more than just produce heat and electricity, but the energy is giving raw materials to other sectors that might not be so intuitive when you first think of it. So, for example, food in the future can be produced from solane or protein made out of uh, water and uh, hydrogen and CO2. So you can, you can do what? You can make food? Talk me through that, because that, that sounds incredible. Yeah, it's actually possible. There's one company that... Uh, makes uh, kind of a protein powder that can be then turned into bread or pasta or whatever. So it can be an ingredient for future food. So we don't have to use so much water to produce the food that we need. And also energy-wise, it's when we produce, for example, hydrogen, we can use renewable electricity coming from wind when we use the hydrogen electrolyzers. And then if we collect the biogenic CO2, for example, our biopower plant, uh, when those are combined, the powder is magically <laughs> coming together and then it can be used for future food, for example. That was Christina Seelin of energy company Helen. 100 is another Finnish Flow member. For the past few years, it's been collating thousands of ideas and innovations from teachers around the world to share them for free on their website. I spoke to its co-founder and executive director, Lassi Lepanyemi, to find out more about how the exchange works, but also the new challenges being faced by teachers and students around the world as a result of the impact of COVID. We identify impactful and, and scalable education innovations, and then we help them, help them spread. And the way how we started the work we are doing goes back to 2015. So you know that Finland is often claimed that we have one of the best education systems around. Finland was turning 100 years old in 2017, and we want to celebrate that by identifying 100 Finnish educational solutions and practices. And that's how we got excited about global education innovations around the world. That's very typically modestly Finnish of you there, Lasse, but you're actually regularly top the PISA ranking list of the best education systems in the world. I'm sure you've been asked this question many, many times, but why does Finland have such a strong track record in education? So we really try to take good care of everyone in, in our society. And as a small nation, we also see that a high quality education must have in order to have a prosperity because we are, you know, you know we don't have a lot of like natural resources, but we have a lot of knowledge and know-how. And for that reason, education is seen as one of the key drivers for the Finnish economy as well. We value the educators a lot. We see the importance of their work. And maybe more than ever after the COVID, since like in many countries in Finland as well, the schools were closed and, and all the learning were happening from home by using a different kind of distant and online learning methods. And that made it very clear for the families 
how much we can value the work of teachers and educators. And you mentioned COVID there. That's obviously the most pressing global, it's a universal problem that every country almost in the world is facing is how to help the kids catch up. What's the message from 100 about how to tackle those problems? There is, of course, a lot of learning gap. And as an, as an example, we could maybe point out linguistic skills and literacy. So, for example, if we would look that in, in the Helsinki context, in the Finnish context, we were getting a report that preschoolers, for example, learn to speak later and their reading skills were also developing a bit later. So it's very difficult to teach your students to say different words if you have to keep the mask on. So you are not kind of like able to, you know, read from the lips. You are not seeing the guesses. You are not seeing the face of a, of a teacher. And of, of course, you can overcome those challenges by filming, you know, some instructions for the kids and so forth. But at the same time, these same challenges apply in global South countries, but the magnitude is way, way bigger. And in those contexts, we can see few age groups that might be dropping completely out of the literacy skills. When the average age of a country can be 19 years old, that means that if few age groups are dropping out of the literacy skills, the country might be going 10 years back in time. And that's a huge challenge we are facing. But then at the same time, we are seeing a lot of related social and emotional challenges that the students, teachers, and all of us are facing during and after the COVID. We are seeing that when students are returning back to the schools, they might be reacting to these social situations a bit differently or not in a way that we have been used to react in social situations. So we have been seeing, for example, a little bit more, for example, school violence, bullying, these kind of things that we should be getting rid of. And that is kind of like a symptom of something that has been lacking from their life for for two years. And I think like the only way how we can address these situations is that we should put a lot of emphasis teaching social and emotional skills. And, and how can educators around the world access hundreds knowledge and, and tools? We are running a hundred.org website and it's actually a big repository of over 2,500 education innovations around the world. And all this information is available for free with the connections to the actual innovators. So if you find something that interests you, there is an easy way, you know, to get into a connection with the actual innovator and start the discussion. Could this actually work in our context? Is there something that we could learn from this particular innovation? And we hope that with the one practice at a time, we can improve the education system as a whole. We have been working with fantastic education innovators, and we see that the change and the improvements that many systems are looking for are actually existing already today. So we have 100 ambassadors in 120 countries at the moment, and altogether we have over 1,000 of them. Sometimes the best innovations are actually coming from the countries and locations with a few resources available. Because in those contexts, you have to be very innovative and creative to use the, what you are having to provide the excellent educational results. For example, Design for Chains is a fantastic education innovation coming from India. The key idea is that it empowers 
students to be active change makers within their communities. So the teachers, together with their students, they create these like actual learning tasks within their community. And I actually hope that by attending the World Economic Forum, we can shine the light these education innovators who are making the education better every day through their work. That was Hundreds co-founder and executive director Lasse Lepenyemi. In many countries, getting to see a doctor in person is becoming increasingly difficult, but often an in-person consultation isn't actually necessary. This is where Be Healthy comes in. It's an app which is making healthcare smarter and more accessible to patients. As I found out, when I spoke to Business Development Director Annie Isomustajavi. So originally the platform was developed to support our patients and our professionals to keep in touch and to really make healthcare smarter. And three years ago, roughly, we realized that why wouldn't we bring this capability for other providers as well and help the other healthcare providers all around the world to do the digital leap and now we are actually doing that in 10 countries. And what does it look like from a, from a patient's point of view to, to use this? So the whole point is that as a patient, you actually just want to focus on your life and kind of being healthy and doing all the other things than taking care of your health. And that's what we want to empower you to be able to do. So basically, in your pocket, you have the front door to all your health care services and even prevention. So we want to make it really convenient to get the health advice to know what you need to do next to possibly with quick on-demand access take care of any everyday healthcare problem or ask question as it comes topical to you. And then depending what makes the most sense, you can handle it online, remotely, or then you get conveniently sent to the nearest location to take care of your health. And how, how does the patient-doctor relationship work in terms of the good old-fashioned family doctor? Is it, is it your, your doctor who knows you that you're asking these questions of? Or is there a, another level between where if you've got some kind of minor question, general question, it goes to a, a call center type of affair? How does, that, how does it work in terms of those relationships? So, of course, it depends on the geography and the market. So whether you are always catered with your specific doctor or whether you go to a doctor pool that anyone who is first available helps you, we recommend and what is the best practice is to actually use a hybrid model so that for on-demand access, like, you know, you have like your child is sick and you are at home at 10 o'clock in the evening. You actually want to get the help from the first available pediatric. But... Of course, everything feeds back to the backbone, so your health history. So basically, any doctor knows you and they can kind of help you in the best possible way. And if you happen to be in a position that you have your family doctor, then they are also aware of your situation. So they can take it from there, wherever the kind of latest advice has left you. And how how have Finns embraced the system and and how have Finnish doctors embraced the system? Because I wonder if it does put a bigger load on the GPs? It's actually quite the opposite. So if you think about kind of healthcare is facing an increasing demand all the time. And if you think about it also, the healthcare is moving towards that kind of syndromes more and more where things are more chronic. 
related to lifestyle habits that you could actually kind of prevent. And also kind of there's a lot of mental disorders coming in. So you need kind of new ways of kind of doing things. So that's kind of in the essence of our platform. And if we think about the traditional GP visit, like you have a flu symptom or, or something else, what we try to do is that we actually bring tools for the patients and the doctors to just do it a bit smarter. So in our platform, the doctors are able to handle 10 to 30 patients in an hour in comparison to, for example, the traditional setting where you only see four to six people in an hour in a physical setting. And our doctors actually kind of love it that they are able to help more patients. Of course, there are still some cases that needs to be handled physically, and then we can actually get more time for those meetings so that you can actually really focus on the patients who need the physical visits and face-to-face -face time. And what enables this is really our doctors have been closely involved in 10 years developing these tools, and I can assure you there have been many trials and errors along the way. And so what roughly proportion of the Finnish population are, are, are using the app? over 25% is at the moment using the app. And I guess Finland as a brand is pretty trusted globally and has a pretty high reputation for integrity. And I, I wonder when you, you're going to Davos, whether that is a, a major plus when you're presenting your company. Of course, we as Finns, as you said, like that's how we feel ourselves. And maybe, you know, we are kind of really doing things that we do kind of properly. And typically we tend to kind of iterate them long before we actually are brave enough to go out there and barely say that this might be an okay solution for others as well. Globally, if we think about how healthcare is transforming, like, you know, the cost is increasing tremendously. People are aging and for, foremost, the type of issues that we are encountering are no longer such that you have broken your ankle. Not only, of course, we do have those as well, but we have increasing amount of like mental health care disorders or chronic diseases. And traditionally, our healthcare systems haven't been good at this. And what we can really achieve, and we just need to do that because otherwise the resources just don't scale for all the people. So I really believe that with the help of digital tools, we can kind of really change how we deliver healthcare smarter and we can prevent and do early intervention what we don't do at the moment. I believe this is really the sweet spot. And here there is a lot to do that can really help us to deliver healthcare for all in the future. That was Annie Iso Mustajavi of Be Healthy. ST1 is a Finnish-based Nordic energy group which started out as a chain of petrol stations across Finland, Norway and Sweden. Not easy to turn petrol stations green, you'd imagine, but that's exactly what the group is attempting. Actually, it's been on that journey for over 15 years, a journey it describes as towards being CO2 aware. I spoke to its CEO, Timo Hutisari, and asked him what that meant. Really, the vision to be the leading producer and seller of CO2 aware energy means that we need to be able to reduce our climate impact. And it needs to be done in a way that it's not just about reducing CO2, a uh, kind of conscience of the impacts that we have, whether it's environment, climate, social impacts, or even the business. So really that's kind of the concept around the vision that, that we really need to make steps that we're taking into consideration 
360 aspects of sustainability and not just calculating carbon molecules. And where would you describe ST1 is at in, in that transition phase? At the moment, 20% of our net sales comes from renewable energy. So it's already quite significant amount. Of course, there's a long way to go. But over the last year, year and a half, we've taken quite a lot of important steps to really increase this figure. And that comes through investments into energy transition via biogas production, renewable diesel production and, and feedstocks around new products that we need to have more and more in our value chain. If we think about the kind of the aims that we have for 2030, Finland is supposed to be 30% renewable in road transport. Sweden is actually over 60% greenhouse gas reduction and in Norway also 30% volume. So I would imagine our net sales to be much closer to 50% from renewables by 2030. And how much does carbon sequestration play in that strategy? Carbon sequestration is really important part of that strategy since uh, it takes quite some time to, to, even though we've made investments in the renewable energy, to have an idea and then to build that idea into actual concrete plants and, and production, it takes quite some time. But we don't have the time to waste. So we really need to put more and more efforts into carbon sequestration since that is something that we can do today capturing carbon from the atmosphere and reducing the carbon debt that we have in order to be more and more sustainable in a short term. When you think of Finland, you think of trees. So I'm guessing trees and planting of trees plays a large role in that sequestration plan. Absolutely. And, and well, Finland has, uh, has a lot of forests. I don't know if you've been here. Oh, yes. You know, the, we have a couple towns and then we have lakes and forests. So obviously we already have quite a big carbon sink. But we need to not just look at Finland or Sweden or Norway, we need to look globally. And really, that's the low tech solution that we can do in vast amounts already today, everywhere around the globe. But at the moment, the hindrance in, in the development of carbon sequestration is that it's actually not a tool in the regulatory box for companies to reduce their climate impact on a regulatory space. It is very much on the focus of voluntary, but when, it's, when anything is voluntary, it will not take as rapid development as it would if it is actually under the compliance markets that we have, whether it's emission trading system or whether it's some regulatory mandates to reuse CO2 from, from energy. That's what we need to get so that we can really ramp up the carbon sequestration globally. So, I mean, in Davos, I guess you're hoping to have the ears of the world's leaders and the people in whose power those decisions are. Is that one of your key messages at Davos? Absolutely. That's, that's definitely the core of the message that we have to do things that we can do commercially viable and today in large scale. And that's definitely the, the message to be taken there. We need to be serious about it. We need to act swiftly and create those regulatory places and regulatory markets for carbon sequestration that we really get the, the large investments into this space, because that's really the hope that we have in short-term carbon reduction. And in a, in a forum like Davos, what value does kind of the brand of Finland, what does it mean that you're a Finnish company going there, do you think? What impact does that have? Well, I think that can actually be very interesting because fin there hasn't been really that many Finnish companies before in, in Davos. And, uh, but then Finland is known to be very sustainable and, and having very kind of audacious and sustainable ideas. So actually, when we're talking about carbon sequestration and carbon sequestration through 
forestation, there's quite a lot of knowledge base that we've had and developed over the years as a country and as a society into the forestry area. So, so I, I believe that it can be a really good brand value of, of Finland supporting the message and, and, and what we're trying to aim there. And in Davos, really, I, what I've also researched is that carbon sequestration and this and this uh, forestation has been really in the in the focus over the last couple of years. And I really hope to to get some some good uh, good contact points there to really take this uh, wider in the agenda of a global global actions. That was Timo Hutisari, director of sustainability and future business at ST1 Nordic. That's all for this special edition of the Foreign Desk Explainer in association with Finnish Flow. You can find out more about the companies mentioned in this program and more about the other members of Finnish Flow at finnishflow.com. My name is Michael Booth. Thank you for listening and goodbye. Goodbye.